Hey, Summit Church. It's good to see all of you. I'm glad you're here today. Um, appreciate the, uh, the Williams and the Zimmerman family and uh, their kids that uh, were dedicated this morning. And uh, we've got two more children in our next service. And then we've got, uh, we had one last night. So we believe in church growth from the inside out. So we're, uh, we're gonna bring people in, but we're gonna make people here at the Summit too. So, <laughs> oh, come on, they're married. It's fine, okay, so back off. <clears throat> My name is Mel Massingale, I'm the lead pastor here at the Summit. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you're a guest with us today, if this is your first time, or maybe you've been a few times, but you've never filled out one of our guest cards before, I would love for you to take a moment and fill this card out. It's in the seat back in front of you. Uh, it's just a way for us to get to know you a little bit. And then when you turn it in, you can turn it in at the end of our worship experience today. Give this to the Info Center. When you drop this off, they're gonna answer questions you might have about the church. So that'll help you get to know us a little bit as well. Uh, so thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can do that. I know a lot of you are on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Instagram. You can find us by simply searching Summit PA Church and you'll find us there. You can stay up to date with all the things that are going on around here at the Summit. Uh, so again, thank you for worshiping with us. I also want to welcome everyone who's watching live right now at summitpa.church. No matter where you may be or how you may be joining us today, thank you for making the Summit a part of your day. Uh, whether you're watching this live or maybe you're watching this after the fact or listening to this podcast later, whatever the case is, thank you for worshiping with us today. I pray that God blesses you as you do so. A couple things coming up that I wanna to mention to you. Um, we are in the middle of our three-week uh, prayer and fasting, and uh, we started this last weekend, and I would love for you to join us in this. Um, and basically what we're doing is we're just asking the people of our church to set something aside for, for the first three weeks of January, or first three weeks of this year, uh, just to consecrate it, just say, God, this is yours, and so we're gonna lay some things down and, and, and use that as a spiritual discipline to help us grow in our faith with the Lord. And so uh, it's a little bit different for everybody. Um, and uh, I just wanna be honest with you about my own weakness. Um, I, I found myself a couple times like shaking a little bit because I'm, I'm off of sweet tea and uh, I'm hurting, man, I'm hurting bad. <laughs> I was mainlining it for a while, but uh, anyway, so. Um, yeah, so whatever it is for you, find something that you can set aside and just say, God, I'm gonna lay this down for the next few weeks. I know there's some people in our church that have gotten rid of social media, um, and I don't know if that's really a sacrifice or not, but uh, we're laying some things down. Whatever it is, find something that you can be a part of uh, this with us. I also wanna remind you, this week coming up, Monday through Friday, we're gonna be having prayer here at the church, corporate prayer every day. On Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, it'll be happening here in this room uh, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. So it's just come and go. Uh, so you can come during your lunch break, spend a few minutes, half an hour, whatever it is. Uh, if you wanna come and spend the whole time in prayer, you certainly can. But we just wanna invite you to come and make this place a house of prayer during that time. Um, worship with us, pray with us. We'll just have some music on. People can come in, pray for a little bit, and leave whenever you're ready. So come and be a part of that. On Wednesday, we'll have prayer uh, in the discovery room. It's the room right here on my right and your left behind you, behind the auditorium. Um, and that is from uh, 5 p.m. till 7 p.m. So that'll be in the evening instead of at the noontime. But then following the 7 p.m., the 5 to 7 prayer, we're gonna be having our second Wednesday worship experience. So this Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in this room, we're gonna be having a service with uh, Peter Haas. He's a dynamic communicator. He's a pastor of Substance Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I wanna encourage you, we're gonna have a great time this Wednesday night. You do not wanna miss it. Our youth ministry will be in here with us Wednesday. We'll be worshiping together and just having a wonderful time. And I'm telling you, it is a great way to start your year. And Peter is gonna knock 
knock your socks off. So uh, some of you don't wear socks, he'll knock your shoes off. How about that? Um, so be here this Wednesday night for that. Be here for prayer this week. Um, and then the last thing I wanna mention to you, don't forget, um, uh, well, this might be new to you, but uh, February 4th and 5th, we're gonna be having uh, meetings for our 2017 mission trips. We believe in missions here at the summit. We don't just believe in sending money, but we believe in sending people because uh, we think this will change your life. So we wanna encourage you, go on a mission trip with us. And if you're interested in finding out more information, our missions director, uh, Seth McCoy, she's gonna be around after the service. She's also gonna close us out, but we have meetings for that after the services on the 4th and 5th of February. So make sure you put that on your calendar and be a part of that. Uh, we're continuing a series today called Thriving in Babylon. And if you missed last week, um, that's okay. Um, basically, this series is uh, an opportunity for us to look at the, the culture we live in today and how God wants us to be different than the culture we live in. Um, in Babylon, uh, the Babylonian Empire, it stretched, it was one of the largest empires of the, in, the world, in the known world at the time. Uh, it was spent about 1,500 years in some sort of power and authority. Um, and, and Babylon is a city in southern Iraq. It's actually south of, of modern-day Baghdad. Uh, but it was a center of power for over 1,000 years. Um, and the Babylonians, they took over other kingdoms and nations. And one of the nations that they took over was the nation of Judah, which was part of Israel. And so, um, so there's a lot spoken about. Babylon throughout scripture. And in the book of Daniel specifically, he talks about the captivity that they, that they lived through. Um, Daniel and some of his friends, they were deported from Judah to Babylon and in uh, the Babylonian culture, they, they tried to take over, they tried to marginalize, they tried to squeeze out who you were and what you were to, to make you Babylonian. And Daniel, was really trying to withstand that, to hold on to who he was and who, who he was in God. And, and that's really what we're looking at over the next few weeks is as the culture we live in seems increasingly combative toward our faith uh, and toward our beliefs, how do we live, not just survive, but how do we thrive in a culture that seems to be opposed to our beliefs at every turn. And this isn't about us saying uh, the world is bad and we're good, uh, but it really is about saying how do we influence the world instead of being influenced by the world? Uh, and so that's what we're looking at over the next few weeks, uh, and that's what we'll be, we'll be touching on. Uh, and I told you last week, but um, a lot of what we're talking about is tied to this book by Larry Osborne. It's called Thriving in Babylon. It's a great book. We have some copies available for purchase out in the lobby. If you're interested, stop by our resource center. You can pick one of those up. Um, but I would encourage you, read through that book. It's an incredible book. And that's really our companion piece for this series. Um, but last week, we kind of finished up talking about tests, that we all have trials and we all have challenges that come our way. And when you were in school, some of you, it's hard to remember back when you were in school, but when you were in school, does anybody remember looking forward to tests? Yeah, I could tell. The couple of you raised your hands. I'm gonna be praying for liars here in just a little bit, right? <laughs> now, some of you looked forward to tests because you were studious and you, you got in the books and you really read. And you, you looked forward because you knew you were gonna kill the test. I didn't look forward to tests. This might shock you. Um, I was not the best student in the world, right? Um, I was not the most academic, um, and I did not look forward to tests. In fact, I would, I would um, start <coughs> getting a 
able to cough. Like, <coughs> mom, I don't know if I can go to, <coughs> oh, this cough is terrible, mom, right? Like I would have those days that I didn't wanna go to school and take the test. In fact, many of us, we would try to avoid the tests in schools if we could, if we could have gotten out of them, but you couldn't. They're a necessary evil. And the same is true today. In, in your adult life, you might feel like you're out of school and you don't have any more tests, but we have tests every single day. There are challenges that come our way every single day, and we have to be ready for those. And, and one of the best ways to be ready for those is to have authentic faith, to be the real thing. Uh, if we have a counterfeit faith, then it makes it very difficult for us to navigate the tests of our life well. Um, I could fake my classes pretty well, um, but when it came to the tests, it was like, you either know it or you don't. And if you don't know it, you're gonna fail. And that's the same, the same is true with our faith. If, if our faith is not authentic, when the tests come, we're gonna fail. And that's what we're gonna be looking at today. A few years ago, actually about 10 years ago, my wife and I, we were living in Fort Worth, Texas, and we were uh, helping start a church there, and the church is still there today, it's doing well. Uh, but uh, I had to get a job because they didn't pay anything at the church plant. And so they said, hey, we need you to work long hours, but we can't give you any money. Does anybody have a job like that? Um, you might feel that way. And so I had to get a real job to pay the bills so that I could work with the church. And so I got this job and uh, for just a little while, your pastor who hates coffee and doesn't even really like the smell of coffee worked at Starbucks. So um, that's how badly I wanted to provide for my family that well, one way or the other, I'm gonna endure this. My wife loved it because I got free coffee every day. So she was like, yes, that is a gift from God. But I I didn't enjoy it very much. Um, you know, the people that work there are baristas, but while I was there, we changed it to baristo. It's just a little manlier. So I was a baristo while I was at Starbucks. Um, so I worked there for three months and I just fell into this job as um, I was, uh, fell into this job working for a minor league baseball team. And I love baseball, I'm a big baseball fan. And um, it, the job didn't pay very much, but it was so much fun. I really enjoyed what I was doing. Um, and over the course of a few months, I ended up getting promoted to a place where I was the assistant general manager. I was the director of business operations for this, this minor league baseball team. Sounds very dramatic and gl glamorous, but it was not, I can assure you. Um, over the course of my career with a baseball team, like my paychecks bounced a couple times and like there were times we'd pay the players and I'd be like, I'm really sorry to tell you this, you're gonna need to hang on to this check for about four days before you ca cash it. Like, cause our owner just, anyway, it was a mess. So it wasn't as, as glamorous as it sounds, but I, I had a lot of fun. Um, and so toward, at, at the end of our first season, uh, I worked for the team for one year, and at the end of our first season, we needed to have tryouts. And the great thing, this is, we had this racket that we would do where we would say, hey, we're gonna have open tryouts for anybody who wants to try out. But the catch is you have to pay, and I think we made them pay $150 to try out. So we would have hundreds of guys come and try out, and uh, it was a great money-making scheme, and we got a couple players out of it, so it was great. Um, and so these guys would pay, and how many of you are bosses or owners of companies that wish that people would pay you to send you a resume, like that wouldn't be a good thing. So anyway, they would pay and show up for this, this tryout. And um, I would have them register beforehand and then the day of, so that morning, it was a Saturday morning, it was 6 a.m. in Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'm sitting at this, uh, we had this baseball complex that we were at and um, registering guys, they would come in and they would walk up and you could hear the cleats on the concrete, you know, people walking and you'd see these guys and it was amazing. Some of these guys would walk up and they were, they were 
physical specimens. I mean, right out of college, some of them play high-level Division I college baseball. I mean, and they were in great shape, just physical specimens. If you're not sure what to imagine, it was basically me is what they looked like. So, uh, physical specimens. Um, so these guys would walk up and I mean, and some of them, they would be walking up and I would tell the guys next to me, oh my gosh, look at this guy. You know, this guy can play baseball, right? Like, just look at him. And then there'd be guys that would walk up and you'd be like, okay, as long as the check clears, we're cool, right? Like, no problem. Uh, we literally had a guy walk up and, um, he was in, uh, just regular tennis shoes. He didn't have cleats and he was in blue jeans, a t-shirt, and he was wearing, uh, it wasn't even a baseball hat. It was like, a, it was some sort of work hat, like Mack truck or John Deere. I don't remember what it was now. And he walked up and he had a glove and a bat and all right, cool, whatever. And he just, he didn't look the part. And in fact, he wasn't V-shaped. He was kind of pear-shaped a little bit, if that makes sense. He was shaped a little more like me than he was the college baseball players. But so it was like, all right, whatever. And we get out there and we start going through the motions and doing the drills and we're putting them in, in simulated game situations where we can see them perform. And, and I was just there to help, basically. I didn't do the baseball side of it, just did the business side. Um, and this guy in the blue jeans, man, he's got a good arm. He can throw pretty hard. And so one of our coaches says, hey, do you pitch? And he said, yeah. And he said, why don't you get over here in the bullpen just by himself, him and a catcher, and, and we wanna see you throw some. So he gets over here and I'm, I've got a radar gun behind the catcher and I'm standing there. And this guy winds up and he throws the ball and the radar gun reads 93. And now that's not a big deal if you're a major leaguer, but if you're at the level we were, that's a huge deal. He might as well have been throwing a thousand miles an hour at the level of baseball that we were. And it was like 93. And I thought, well, this, this is a cheap gun. Maybe it's not right. So I was like, do it again. Did it again, it was 91. Do it again, 92. And I was like, coach, come here. He came over and looked. And this guy was consistently in the low 90s with movement. It was amazing. And so uh, we signed that guy. But if you would have judged based on his looks as he was walking up, it would have been like, no, we're good, right? Like this guy's a little soft in some areas he shouldn't be. And uh, he's, you know, sagging in some areas. And no, we're good, buddy. But we'll take the guy that's in great shape, that has the best uniform, right? But instead, we said, no, 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 we'll take the guy that doesn't look as good because he's the one who passed the test. He's the one who may not have looked the part, but when he showed up, he did everything he needed to do. See, this is what tests do in our life, and essentially, that's what we were doing with these guys. We were testing them because they could talk a big game, but if they couldn't perform, it didn't matter what they had to say. Does that make sense? Um, and so... We wanted to test them. We wanted to test their skills. We wanted to test their abilities. And that's what tests do in our lives. When tests come our way, they separate the genuine from the counterfeit. They expose our weaknesses, but it also fortifies our strengths. So when these guys were tested, we could see over and over and over, oh, this guy's got a good throwing arm. Oh, this guy's got a weak arm. And we could see that over and over and over. As he was tested, it would... It would help us see who he really was. And this is what tests do in our life. When tests come our way, we look at them in our lives, even as adults, and we go, God, how can I get out of this test? But what we have to understand is that when tests come our way, it's revealing something about who we are. Now, it's not revealing anything to God. It's God is God. God is omniscient. He knows everything, right? So he already knows what you're made of. He knows who you are. He knows how you're gonna do on the test. But, but you don't know how you're gonna do on the test. And so the test reveals something to us about who we are. And that's one of the reasons tests are important. Um, I love hearing that sound. But I'm also a little glad that we're not gonna hear it in about uh, 78 days, so that's cool too. <laughs> 
See, one of the problems is there's no way to know the real from the fake unless they're tested. Uh, there's some guys in this room that your, your girlfriend or your wife loves the ring you bought her for an engagement gift, but you just hope she never has it tested, right? <laughs> that, that two carat diamond won't look so good when it's tested by the uh, jeweler when they look at it under the jeweler's glass and they go, oh, no, no, no. This is Cubic Zarconian, $199 on the Home Shopping Network, right? <laughs> surprise, surprise, surprise. Why? Because when something's tested, there's things that are revealed about it. They might look exactly the same. Even with, with, uh, in manufacturing, two items might look exactly the same, but the processes for creating them were different, and as a result, one is legit and one is a cheap knockoff. But you don't know unless it's tested. Uh, precious metals are the same way. Silver, gold, platinum, whatever it is, you don't know what you really have unless it's tested. And that's why testing is important for us. God tests us. Uh, we might not like that very much, but it's true. It says in Isaiah 48, 10, it says, behold, and this is God speaking, he says, behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. Ugh. Nobody wants to sign up for that, do we? God says, I'm testing you, and I'm refining you, and I'm helping you see who you are so you can get better, but, but it's, it's not because I'm just gonna tell you you're gonna be tested in the furnace of affliction, and that's painful. None of us want that, but it's so necessary in order to move forward. It's so necessary to, to see what our faith is made of because the only way we can thrive in a culture who's combative and out to get us is to make sure our faith is authentic, is to make sure we have a true faith. See, Daniel, in, in the book of Daniel, uh, he, he was tested by the Babylonians. Early on in, in Daniel chapter one, he and his friends, his compatriots were brought to Babylon. And one of the things the Babylonians would do, we talked last week, they would change their names, but they'd try to indoctrinate um, these people, these deportees into their culture. They'd try to assimilate them so they'd become Babylonian. And so one of the things they would do is begin giving them Babylonian food, changing their diets, changing the way they ate. And when they came to Babylon, they said, here's what you're gonna eat. Here's the very best food. We're gonna feed you the very best food, even from the king's table. So here's what you're gonna eat. And Daniel said, and this is a nutshell version, this is basically what he said. He said, no, thank you. We're not interested in Babylonian food. We'll take, we'll take, Vegetables, we're gonna eat vegetables and water. And if I would've been with Daniel, I'd've been like, whoa, 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 hold up. Let's, let's think about what they have to say here, right? He said, no, no, we're gonna eat vegetables and water. You can keep your culture. God's gonna do something different in us. And the guy said, I don't think we can do that because if you begin to waste away physically, I'm gonna get in trouble with my boss. So we can't do that. And Daniel said this, he said, hey, test us. So over the next 10 days, we're gonna eat only vegetables and drink only water and see how we do. And if physically we're not doing well, if we can't keep up, if our faces are ashen or we're all sunk in, um, then we'll go back to your diet. But if not, we're gonna keep eating this stuff. So test us is what he said. After that, God says in scripture that God gave them influence and knowledge and wisdom 
He just downloaded it supernaturally, just gives it to them. He gives them favor with the people who were over them. And it's amazing to see what happened. But their knowledge was tested. Their, their, their wisdom was tested over and over and over. And it says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 19, And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdoms. What it's saying is that when they were tested, the king recognized that they were 10 times better than the flunkies he had. When the test came, he could see who was genuine and who was counterfeit because the tests reveal, right? And, and this is what happened in Daniel's life. And we see this over and over and over. Daniel in, encounters tests and God uses that to reveal who Daniel really is and who God is in Daniel over and over and over throughout scripture. We're gonna touch on some of that in the next few weeks. Um, and this is what you have to understand. Sometimes when we go through a test, we feel like we're being crushed. We feel like God is trying to break us, but it's never meant to break us. A test is never meant to break, it's meant to reveal every single time. And you have to remember that as we move forward. Uh, has anybody ever handed, I, I don't get to carry a $100 bill very often. My wife keeps me on a tight leash. Has anybody ever had a $100 bill or a 50, maybe a 20, a one? Has anybody ever had a one? Yes, okay. You're making me nervous here. <laughs> if you had a $100 bill, you have a $100 bill and you go to pay. Maybe you go to the gas station, your sheets, your something, and you, you go to give the, the cashier the money and you give them 100. What is it that the cashier does with the $100 bill? They can't take it. Yeah, that's true sometimes. One of the first things they do, they, they take it, they hold it up to the light, don't they? Why do they do that? They're trying to see the watermark, aren't they? There's a watermark that the U.S. Mint puts on those bills so that they can't be counterfeited. So they hold it up to see the watermark. They, they take an iodine pen maybe and they mark on it. Why? Because those tests reveal if it's genuine or if it's counterfeit. See, U.S. currency, only about 1% of U.S. currency is, is counterfeit. And it's very hard to counterfeit U.S. currency, dollar currency, because um, the paper that's used, the paper that's used for dollars, for genuine U.S. dollars are, um, are, are cloth. They're not paper. And so it's hard to counterfeit that because cashiers and people in banks, they can feel the difference. They can tell when a counterfeit bill comes their way most of the time. But the problem is when counterfeiters get their hands on the authentic material and then it makes it really hard for them to tell the difference between a genuine and a counterfeit. And I would say this, the same is true in our faith. There are many times that it's easy to fake faith or maybe we have a faith that we think is genuine but it really is counterfeit because it looks pretty similar. It feels right. And so what I wanna do is talk for a few minutes about three counterfeit faiths that you might have or that you might see. Now, this is, this is important for us to judge, but it's not as much to judge others as it is to judge ourselves. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at three counterfeit faiths today. And the first is the counterfeit faith of good intentions. And this is the perfect time of year to talk about this too, because I think all of us have good intentions right now. First of the year, it's, it's a new year, it's a new me, baby, right? All right, here it is. I'm gonna spend less, I'm gonna save more. I'm gonna work out every single day. 5 a.m., I'm gonna get a workout, I'm gonna eat better. I'm only, I'm eating kale, that's all I'm eating all the time from here on out, kale, right? 
I'm drinking like some sort of weird green drink all the time to help me get in better shape. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna spend more time with my family. I'm gonna spend more time with my wife, uh, right? And we make all these decrees and all these declarations and all these resolutions. Gyms love us because we all go, okay, this is the year. I'm losing 185 pounds this year. This month, I'm gonna do it, right? I'm losing weight. I'm gonna lose a Backstreet Boy this week. <laughs> Some of you don't even know who the Backstreet Boys are. <sighs> I'm old and I'm a loser, so. We make these grand plans and we join a gym and the Y right now has no fee sign up. Do you know why they can do that? Because they know you're gonna sign up and they're gonna give it to you free and then you're gonna pay every month and never use the gym membership, right? Because you have good intentions. And, and this is a false faith or, or a counterfeit faith of good intentions. Because what we do is we have these good intentions and we say, you know what, I'm gonna be a better dad. And we feel better about that intention. Well, I wanna be a better dad. You know what, I'm gonna be a better husband. I'm gonna be a better husband than I've ever been. And we go, yeah, I am gonna be a better husband. And we feel better about it. But what happens is many times our good intentions don't lead to anything. And as a result, there's simply good intentions that make us feel better for a while. We go, I'm gonna get healthy this year. We don't do anything about it. So as a result, we feel better for a little while, but we don't really get healthier. Jesus talked about this in a parable. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, Jesus said this to a group of people that were with him. He said, what do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first son and said, son, go to work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said the first. So you have these two sons. And this man owns a vineyard. And he said to his first son, son, I need you to go work in the vineyard. And he goes, who do you think you are? I'm not going to work in the vineyard. And then just a little bit later, he goes, yeah, I need to work in the vineyard. And he goes and works. And the second son, he says, son, would you, would you go work in the vineyard for me today? He goes, absolutely, dad, I'll do it. You know you can count on me. I'm gonna do it and he never shows up. Who, who did the will of the Father? Well, the one who showed up to work. It didn't matter what the intentions were, did it? It didn't matter who said, yeah, sign, sign me up, I'm gonna do it. It mattered who showed up. Because see, gyms love the people who sign up because they know a lot of times you don't show up. Signing up doesn't matter, showing up matters. And that's what we have to understand. We talk a big game and we have some good intentions and we, we say things like, I'm gonna be a better dad. But are you gonna be a better dad? How are you gonna be a better dad? What does that look like? Because your intentions don't make any difference. What matters is, and what makes a difference in this world is your actions. So what actions are you marrying to your intentions? See, maybe spiritually, in your relationship with God, you've been saying things like, okay, I'm gonna go to church more in 2017. Or you've been saying things like, I'm gonna start giving financially. I'm gonna start serving. I'm gonna find some area to get involved. Or I'm gonna start reading my Bible more. And all those things are great things. And all those things are things you should consider doing. But it doesn't make any difference if you say that, but don't do anything about it. It's not just about what we say, it's about what we do. See, when, when this type of faith is tested, it will fail because our intentions don't matter. Our actions do. I had a, a guy uh, when I was 
working for the baseball team, that um, toward the end of our baseball season, we were thinking about signing this guy, and we just held off for a couple different reasons. So when the tryouts rolled around, I called him and said, hey, why don't you plan on coming to our tryouts? And he said, okay, I, yeah, I appreciate that. I will, I'll be there, okay. So he didn't show up for the tryouts, said, no big deal. But, uh, a couple weeks after the tryout, he called and said, hey, I missed the tryout. Yeah, I saw that. And he said, uh, man, I really intended on coming. I intended on being there. I just couldn't make it. I said, well, why couldn't you make it? And he said, well, I had a lot of things going on. And so I pressed him. I just didn't let him off the hook that easy. And I pressed him. And finally, he got down to the point where he confessed to me that he was staying home because he'd stayed up late the night before and he was playing Guitar Hero on video games. So he was busy playing Guitar Hero. So he couldn't make it to the tryout. But he said, I really planned on coming. I really wanted to be there. And I said, I don't care if you wanted to be there. You, you didn't come. The, the fact is, you didn't show up so we couldn't test your skills and abilities. Does that make sense? And 90% of our Christian walk is showing up. God says over and over in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, he says, I'm gonna fight your battle for you. I'm gonna do the heavy lifting. All you have to do is be present. All you have to do is show up and I'll do the work. But yet, so many times, we talk a big game and go, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna be there. And then we don't show up, so God can't do the work. Does that make sense? God wants us to show up. He doesn't want us to just sign up. He wants our intentions to be married with action. There was a, a French monk in the 10th century, his name was St. Bernard of Clairvaux, and he said this, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And not to sound dramatic, but hell is full of people that had good intentions. They wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to do some good things, but they just never did. Our intentions don't matter. What matters is what we do. So we can't be lulled into this idea that we're good just because we have good intentions. That is a false faith. It is a, it is a counterfeit faith. And when that faith is tested, it's gonna fail. The second counterfeit faith is the counterfeit faith of high moral standards. Um, we see this over and over in our world. Uh, how many times have you talked to somebody and say, they say something like, well, I don't need to go to church. I'm a good person. I, I, don't, need, I don't need God. I'm moral. And what they're essentially saying is my morality and I'm good enough that I don't need any of this religion stuff. If there's a heaven, then I'm gonna get in because I'm a good guy. And we know in scripture that that's not the case. Scripture tells us that no one is good enough on our own doesn't matter how nice we are, how kind we are, how many people we let over in traffic, right? None of that stuff matters. Uh, what matters is that we're covered by the blood of Christ, that, that we take on his righteousness because high moral standards will never, ever save us. See, the absence of biblical morality is proof that someone doesn't know Jesus. Does that make sense? If somebody lives like a pagan, it's probably easy to go, well, they probably don't know the Lord, right? But sometimes we think the opposite is true too. If somebody lives a good life, it probably means they know the Lord. But the presence of biblical morality doesn't validate that someone does know Jesus. Just because somebody is a nice guy or a good person or loves their family doesn't mean that they have a relationship with Christ. In fact, some of the nicest people I know are members of cults. I mean, we're just getting into, into people's business now. Um, some of the nicest people you're ever gonna meet are members of the Mormon church. They are nice and they are moral 
Those people, they don't even drink caffeine. If they ever had sweet tea, they would change that entirely, right? They would change their theology. They don't have caffeine. That, that, is how, that is how pious they are. They go, nope, no caffeine for us, right? That's pretty incredible. I love me some caffeine. But they say, they say, we're not gonna do it. We're gonna have high moral standards. Does that mean they're gonna go to heaven? Well, no. It doesn't make any difference if you have high moral standards. What makes a difference is if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because this is what happens. We, we get this backwards. We go, okay, I'm gonna fix myself. I'm gonna clean myself up. I'm gonna be a good person. And then God will accept me. But that is not how it works. So how it works is we go, God, I need you to accept me. And I need some help. I'm a mess. And, and he accepts us as we are. And then he fixes us. He cleans us up. He scrubs us down. He makes us righteous. He makes us holy. It's nothing we do that deserves that. We can't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. This is what Jesus said. This is hardcore. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He said, not everyone who says to me, and this is, this is him talking about end times, in heaven, okay? So at the time of judgment, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He said, there's gonna be people who are good people, people who have even done some good things, but it doesn't matter how many good things you do, it doesn't matter how moral you are. What matters is if you're in a relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing that grants us access into heaven. That's the only thing that truly changes our life. Just being a good guy will help you have a better life, but it's not going to help you pass the test. Because when the test comes, the only thing that can help us navigate that test is being anchored in Jesus Christ. That's it. Our morality won't help us. Our morality will not save us. I said earlier, um, if you hate baseball, I'm sorry. I've got a couple baseball illustrations in this message. But um, a couple of guys that showed up to our tryout, man, they spent hundreds of dollars on their gear. I mean, they had their, their equipment bag cost a couple hundred dollars, easy. And all their gear, their gloves and their mitts and, and, and their glasses and all the things they had, they looked the part. They looked great, but none of that mattered because when they got on the field, if they couldn't catch a fly ball, we weren't gonna sign them. If they couldn't throw the ball from second to first, we weren't gonna sign them. If, if they couldn't run to first base, uh, if we had to measure it with a sundial, we were not gonna sign them, Right? So it didn't matter how good they looked. What mattered is if they could pass the test or not. Does that make sense? So our morality doesn't matter. See, we'll become more moral the more we press into Jesus. But again, it's not about our morality. It's about our relationship with Christ. And the last counterfeit faith I wanna mention to you is the fast start. And the fast start is a person who has a really impressive spiritual turnaround, something maybe dramatic. Um, and a lot of times as churches, we act, well, we put this person on a pedestal. We go, look how incredible this person is. They were here and now they're here, look at this. And we should celebrate life change, and we do. We love when people's lives are changed. We love when people get saved and give their hearts to Christ, and he changes them. But what happens too many times is we elevate them and, and put them on a pedestal. And as a result, um, it undermines their ability to grow in the Lord. And so they have this fast start, but then they too many times also have this fast crumbling. They just fall. And that's, 
that's not what we want. Because how we start is important, but it's more important on how we finish than how we start. Um, Jesus talked about how foolish it is for us to put too much stock into a fast start. He talks about it uh, in Matthew chapter 13. He talks about the parable of the sower. Uh, and we won't read the whole thing, but I wanna encourage you, uh, this week, maybe even today, read Matthew 13, one through 23. It's the parable of the sower. Now, there's this farmer, and, and the, the people Jesus was talking to understood what he was talking about because it was an agrarian, it was a, it was a farming culture. And he shares this story, and he said, hey, this farmer went out to... to plant some seed or to sow seed. And he goes out and he starts spreading the seed and some of it landed on a path and the, the, the birds came and they ate it because it was exposed and they came and gobbled it up. And he explains that the path represents the people who don't understand what's being taught and that the birds represent our enemy, the enemy of our soul that comes in and he takes the seed away before it can take root and begin to germinate. Um, he goes on and he talks about the seed that was sown on rocky ground and that it sprang up quickly, um, but it didn't have a root. So when the sun came, it just, it just withered in the heat. And the, it says that the tribulation and persecution arose and it just folded under the persecution, under the tribulation, under the test, if you will. And it immediately fell away. He talks about the thorny soil, that the, the sprang up quickly again in this thorny soil, but then it says it was choked out by the weeds. So there were weeds that choked it out. And Jesus explains that the weeds in this situation are the cares of this life, are the worries and concerns, and just the things that happen in this life that distract us and take us off course from following Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not gonna get in all your business, but I'm gonna get in a little bit of your business today. Um, this can be things like, too, I'm, I'm working too many hours at work. Oh, I'm working the long hours, and we love to take pride in that. But if it's taken away from our relationship with Christ so that the seed can't take root, then we're in trouble. Um, <clears throat> I love the fact that kids are active and have a lot of things going on. But if your kids' activities keep you from growing in your relationship with Christ, I got bad news for you. The kids' activities need to be dialed down a little bit. And I knew that would be popular. I figured people would be amening and just shouting and excited about that one. But there are cares of this world that aren't bad things. They aren't horrible things. They're not demonic things. They're things that distract us and take us away from who God is and take us away from going in our relationship with Christ. And this is, again, I'm getting your business. But if, if it distracts us, it's distracting our family too. My daughter, um, she, she was playing basketball and she wanted to make this travel team. And I just told her, I said, if you make the travel team, you're not gonna be on the team. Why not? And I said, you know they play a lot on the weekends, right? Daddy's kinda busy on the weekends. We kinda have to be around for my job, right? And I just said, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna make a choice. Now again, if your kids play travel basketball, I'm not, I'm not dropping the hammer on you. I'm just saying, we have to make choices because the cares of this life will choke out the, the, the life and the seed and it prevents us from seeing a harvest. And then finally, he talks about the, the farmer threw the seed on good soil and that seed grew to maturity and it produced a harvest. And when you look at this story, there's only one of these um, seeds that celebrate and it's a seed that produces a harvest. It's not the seed that grows fast, it's the seed that produces something. I, I, <clears throat> my wife and I, my family, <clears throat> excuse me, we used to live in northwestern Oklahoma and northwestern Oklahoma, there are a lot of farmers in that area. And there were a lot of uh, wheat fields and corn fields, things like that. Beautiful country, it's flat as can be, but it's, it's beautiful when all the, when you just see all the fields, it's really incredible. And so 
the farmers I would talk to, it was funny, I never, when I was thinking about this, I never, ever, ever heard any of them brag about how quickly their crops grew. I never heard them say, man, did you see how fast it's growing? Woo! It's gonna be a good one. No, do you know what they would say after the harvest is over? They'd go, hey, record number of bushel per acre this year. Record. Man, that's incredible. You know what they brag about? The harvest. They didn't brag about the rate of growth. They cared about what was being done, what was being accomplished. What if, what if their corn was growing fast, but there was no produce from it? Do you think they would have bragged about that? No. The only thing that matters is the fruit, is the harvest. And Jesus is trying to make this clear. It doesn't matter how quickly we grow. It doesn't matter how quickly we start. What matters is that we see a harvest in our lives. There was a guy that, uh, last baseball story for those of you that hate baseball, by the way. <clears throat> there was a guy that coached our team. He was our manager. His name was Curtis Wilkerson. If you're a baseball nerd, you might know who Curtis is. He played for the Rangers and the Cubs and the Pirates for a little bit. Uh, and uh, anyway, I had a, about an 11-year major league career. Really great guy, but he was our coach. So I got to spend a lot of time with Curtis. <clears throat> and when it came time for the tryouts, the, the guys were paying us. <clears throat> and I wanted to have a one-day tryout. I wanted to do a Saturday only. And Curtis said, no, 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 we gotta do Saturday, Sunday. I go, Curtis, if we do Saturday, Sunday, we're gonna have to put those guys up in a hotel and we're gonna have to pay their food and we're gonna have to, some of them we're gonna have to shuttle and, and I said, that's more money and it's gonna cost us more money. I don't wanna do that, let's just do one day. He goes, Mel, we gotta do two days. And I said, okay, why do we have to do two days? And he said, Mel, anybody can fool you for a day. He said, anybody can get lucky in a day. Anybody can have a couple of lucky at-bats. Anybody can do a couple things in the field and just get lucky, but time will tell. So let's, let's get them for two days and we're gonna really test them and see who can do what they think they can do. And he was right, because there were some guys that came out on that first day and looked like all-stars. And then the second day proved that they weren't all-stars. And time will tell. <clears throat> I've told this to college-age girls in our church when they're dating guys, uh, they might look great at the beginning, right? but anybody can fool you for a day. Let's see how they are, not after the first day, but after the 10th day. And this is what God wants for our lives. He, he doesn't care how quickly we start. Some of us feel like failures because we have crazy backgrounds and we st start coming to church and start getting our lives right with God and we keep, we'll take a step back. And we go, oh, I'm a failure. Is, is this even real? Well, it's not about how, how you start, it's about how you finish. It's not about how quickly you grow. It's about the, the produce of your life. It's about the fruit of the Spirit being born in your life. It's about the harvest that's coming forth in your life. And we see these whenever it's tested. Remember, tests separate the genuine from the counterfeit. They expose weaknesses and they fortify strengths. And tests are never meant to break, but they're only meant to reveal. See, and this is what you have to understand. Even real faith <clears throat> at times will fall. The very best of us in this room, no matter who we are, the most, the most um, dedicated to God, those of us that love Jesus the most, whoever it is, we're still gonna blow it. We're still gonna mess up. We're still gonna respond in an ungodly way at times. We're still gonna do things or say things that we regret. And the point isn't that we fail. The point is that we get up when we fall. Because the mark of true faith, genuine faith, is that when it falls down, it gets back up. See, counterfeit faith will fall and, turn, and run, uh, turn tail and run. But genuine faith is gonna fall down and make mistakes and have issues at times, but it's gonna get back up. And that's what God wants from us. 
He wants us not just to start fast, but he wants us to produce a harvest. He wants us to have a genuine, authentic faith that doesn't just look good, but it has substance to it. He wants us to be the real thing. So that when the test comes, we pass the flying colors. Let's pray today. Lord, we love you. We're grateful that you love us. And I thank you that you're in this place. You're among us today. I pray for each person that's here, God, as they're facing tests, Lord, as they're looking at their own lives, God, let us examine our hearts with your eyes and help us to see if the faith we have is genuine or if it's counterfeit. And God, let us test ourselves and see. And if it's not real, God, let us commit ourselves to not just having good intentions, but to follow through and living a life that brings glory to you, that we submit ourselves fully and wholly to you, God. So Lord, have your way with us over these next few minutes. I pray that you be glorified in and through us. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you today, if you're here and you recognize, Mel, I'm not, I'm not really a Christian. I don't have genuine faith. The faith that I've had has been counterfeit. Maybe it was your parents' faith, or maybe uh, you're very moral, but the truth is you're not in a relationship with Jesus. Whatever it is, you recognize today what you have is not a genuine faith. And you recognize that when the test comes, you're gonna fail. And you need Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you or make you come forward. I don't wanna pray with you right where you are though. And if that's you today, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it and let me pray with you? So if you're here and you say, Mel, I want a genuine faith that you're talking about, that's me. Thank you up here in the balcony on the right, thank you. Who else would say that's me? Pray for me. Over here on my left, I see you. Thank you. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else say that's me? Pray for me today. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna make it this real. Thank you, up in the balcony. Awesome. Thank you, down here on the floor, back on my right. Thank you. I see you guys. Thank you both. Praise the Lord. I'd like every person in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, just to say a really simple prayer after me. So repeat this prayer out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I ask you to be Lord of my life. Help me have an authentic faith that will stand up to tests. I can't do this on my own. I need your help. So I'm never going back to my old ways or my old life. Today, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a round of applause this morning? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I just want you to know something. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for what God's going to do in your life, what he is doing in your life. Um, we wanna help you. We don't, we don't want you just to start fast. We wanna help you produce a harvest. And so one of the ways we do that is by helping follow up with you and give you resources. And there's a card that looks like this one that's see back in front of you. On one side it says, need prayer. On the other side it says, salvation. If you would, if you raised your hand and said that prayer, or even if you didn't raise your hand, but you said it and meant it, fill this card out for us and drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. We wanna help you have resources so you can take the next step. So you don't just start fast, but so that you can see a harvest in your life. If you're watching online and you respond and you know you need salvation today, I just want you to know, we wanna help you with that. So no matter where you're at, you can text us the word salvation to the number 555-888. So simply text the word salvation to number 555-888 so we can help you take the next step. Even if you're sitting in the room and that's you, you don't wanna fill the card out, but you feel more comfortable texting, let us know. Text us and let us help you take the next step in your faith. 
Todd and the worship team are gonna lead us in one final song. We're gonna worship together. Our prayer team's available on either side of the stage for whatever prayer need you might have today. So as we begin to sing, step out from your seat, find one of them to pray with. And in just a moment, Steph McCoy, our missions director, is gonna come and she'll close us out and you'll be dismissed. So again, thank you for being here today. Stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we go. Guys, I love you more than you know and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. Have a wonderful day and hopefully we'll see you Wednesday night. God bless you.